0: Welcome to the LIBF Financial Education Team podcast. In each episode, we will discuss the key topics that impact on financial education and whenever possible, include guests so we can get their thoughts and ideas too. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Timmy, how are you doing?
1: Very good, Scott. Thank you for having me.
0: Entirely my pleasure. Welcome to the podcast. It's our financial education talking money with LRBF podcast. It's great to have you as one of our guests.
1: Are, are you busy at the moment? Um, yeah, fairly busy. Um, I'm in a space of gratitude at the moment. I wake up every day feeling very lucky that I get to do what I do and that it's still working. I hate um, that. You know, it's been three, four years now superb
0: well i'm sure that's because you're good at what you do and you put a lot of effort and time into it oh, so you well, make the rewards <laughs> we're going to talk a bit about obviously your journey and what it is you do do and then we'll talk a bit more about this whole conversation around financial education if that's okay um, absolutely but for those that aren't familiar with you and your work a bit before we get to what you do currently just a bit about your background and your journey up to this point
1: absolutely my name is timmy merriman johnson i run a financial education platform called mr money Job. I actually have a background in financial PR. So my first job out of uni was to work for a PR company, loads of personal finance clients, investment houses, insurance companies. And that's what sparked my initial interest in money and systems and and how they work. And uh, so now I I run Mr. Money Jar. Um, I make content on social media. I give talks. I teach workshops. I Appear on podcasts like this one. And I'm also an ambassador for National Numeracy, a UK charity which helps adults and children feel confident about numbers.
0: Well, you are busy. Definitely fantastic. Uh Let's go back to the PR bit there. That's quite interesting because we often speak to people that have got kind of a background in maybe some journalism or something related around education. But I think PR is the first one for me. So was was your passion around kind of that public relations kind of role and promoting stuff, or was it more around education and finance?
1: Well, at the time, um, so I was in the PR company where I was actually on the research team and my passion has always been around like the number crunching, the data, the research and stuff. But what working at a PR company helped me to do, and I left there and I went on to work in marketing um, afterwards as well, was to learn how to take data and information and break it down. In a way that is palatable and accessible to people and that's why i think i excel at at the moment i'm very good at taking complicated topics the ones that normally make your friends eyes glaze over <laughs> and translating Not just them my friends something. mine
0: as well <laughs> yeah yeah
1: i mean i think your eyes are glazing over slightly as i'm uh, speaking to. yeah <laughs> um and making them uh yeah easy to to understand because when it comes to financial education i say this a lot there isn't actually an understanding gap. Most people are fully aware of the outcomes that they're trying to reach and of the questions they need to ask. There is an informational gap. And so once you give people the information they need, they're normally very good at taking action.
0: Okay, that that sounds 100% spot on, I would say. Um, and obviously, so you've taken your kind of PR and marketing background, which you could have challenged in many different directions. And obviously, you're, you're, you're a numbers guy, you're good with numbers, which is great. Uh, but you seem to have really honed in on this whole world of kind of personal finance and financial education, that journey. Thinking about you and your background around that particular topic, where does that passion come from?
1: Yeah, so my passion for finance, um, I actually, interesting story, I thought that it was an, an adult interest, I thought that it was due to questions I had as a young person around how money works and like pensions and getting on the property ladder and stuff. And and it was that, but I've moved house recently and I actually, I found an old diary of mine um, from 2000 and I'm actually recording my money in and my money out, like age 10 or something like that. So clearly it's been an interest for a long time, but um, yeah, I think money, rightly or wrongly, it's like a system that we have. It's a part of all of our lives. And you kind of have to understand it to a level to be able to operate in the world that we live in right now. But I actually don't think money is that important past a certain point. I think that happiness is important. I think health is important. Family, friends. So I see it as my job to help people to be able to solve for money so they can live happy and healthy lives. That's why I do what I do.
0: And you mentioned at the beginning about kind of numeracy um, and being part of the national numeracy charity or campaign around raising awareness around numeracy. you are talking about personal finance and money. Do you think it's a numbers thing or do you think it's a language thing or possibly it's a bit of both?
1: Personal finance and money. Well, there's, de- there's definitely a numerical um, aspect to it. And there's certain like rules and regulations that you need to understand as to how things but I also think that there's a mindset component to money and a financial well-being component to money as well. So like how you actually feel about your finances, how in control of your finances you are is almost a, is as important, if not more important than the actual nitty gritty numbers and stuff. You can have two people with money on a credit card one person feels like they're in control of that situation and the next person, that situation is getting them down and is getting on top of them. So the mindset piece is also very important.
0: And Tim, what would be the differentiation there between like person A and person B? Is, is it a confidence thing? Is it a knowledge thing? Why would one person be more comfortable having a credit card debt that they can manage and probably and maybe even use it advantage in some ways because credit cards can be used to your advantage, can't they? Yeah. Uh, but there also can be a massive liability if, if not used correctly. Um, yeah. From your experience, what would be the difference?
1: Um, So literally understanding how things work, knowledge is power, Um, understanding how things work can make a massive difference in how you feel about them. But there's also money scripts which we develop in childhood, which colour a lot of the ways that we see money and other things in our lives. A very um, interesting study done by Cambridge University where they found that your financial habits are um, essentially formed as early as age seven. And this is from seeing things that your parents do. And they found that about this time, children are able to understand uh, the concept of, you know, uh, using money to bring about um, like things you you want to buy and stuff. They don't necessarily understand the difference between like luxuries and essentials, but they're able to, you know, plan for the future and look at what their parents are doing and that sort of thing. So um, yeah, having self-awareness, and knowing what your money scripts are from early on in life can also help you to reform yourself as an adult.
0: You mentioned the fact that you run Mr. Money Jar. Can you tell us a bit about the background to that, how it came about, the name and kind of what it is you do
1: through Mr. Money Jar? Yeah, so the name is, um, I mean, my name is Timmy Merriman-Johnson. So it's it's like Mr. MJ. Um, and I, yeah, I quite like it, when people <laughs> realize that that's what it stands for um no yeah. i wanted to um i wanted to come up with a, a brand and a, and, a, and a persona that was accessible that made learning about money um fun and that i could use to to reach people i actually started out writing a blog and no one read it um and so that's when i decided to go onto social media and start using the tools that are available to me to start reaching people so i did graphics on um you know explaining the in contact system using the nando's Perry Perry scale and using Fredo the frog to explain inflation and that sort of thing just like little, right. little fun ideas to kind of attract people both adults and children um and now social media algorithms have shifted slightly so there's a lot of short form video content a lot of videos so i do a bit of those but i'm actually i'm quite like fickle when it comes to this sort of thing if there was no so you could turn all the social media off today and i'll probably you know get a box and stand in the town square and just start yelling money stuff at people i really you'll find care. a solution like, yeah i'll find the way <laughs> yeah. um so yeah my, my um, ambition and uh, you know gladly i think i'm achieving this for mr money jar is to be able to put that brand on anything and have it be you know a trust a trusted Form of education that you can rely upon.
0: I hope Nando sponsored the episode, by the way, of the period Source one
1: because that sounds no, fantastic. I'm sure, I'm, that... sure this, I'm sure, I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> well, how much
0: does your PR and marketing background helped you create this kind of character?
1: um That is a great question, and it's not one that I've been asked before. But you know what? I think I think it played a great part because after I worked at the PR company, I went on to work for a marketing company. This is 2016 2017 time. And it was in that marketing company that I found out what an influencer was. So we would literally go on social media and find people that were subject matter experts or had large followings across lots of different niches. And we would like draw them up into grids and then we would use them to create campaigns with our clients. And I thought like, this is really interesting. These people are probably just posting stuff online for fun. They don't realize that there's an army of marketers are like putting them all together and going oh well we think that this big brand would want to do a campaign with them and we've seen over the past six seven um uh six seven years but definitely since the pandemic the content creation space has exploded there are so many personal finance creators doing what i do doing what i do full time and the great thing is that we're not in competition with each other at all we're actually all occupy different niches. So you've got parents, you've got young people, you've got financial advisors, you've got insurance people. And there's kind of something there for everyone. So to come back to your original question, I th- yeah, I think if I hadn't worked in marketing, I wouldn't even have known the nuances of the space that I now operate in. Well,
0: you know, you're gonna need like a different in ingredients right to make what you do work you're going to need to know not just about the kind of content you want to write about which obviously you do know understand that the world of kind of finance and things but also the way to get the message out there in a way that's going to be coherent and clear and actually work for the ones you want to you want to get together and i guess not everyone has that multifaceted skill set that you've got which is probably why it's working so well for you
1: yeah but i kind of feel like yeah I, my internal state is just one constant battle between Timmy you need to focus on just one thing if you just picked one subject area and niche down on it then you know you probably have grown a lot more and you probably yeah be a lot easier for people to put into a box like if someone wanted to book me or wanted to come to me for something but then on the other hand I'm like no life is short I want to do everything so I do a bit of I, I know about personal finance insurance investing um, I do social media I do talks I do stand-up like I've started doing stand-up towards the end of the year and the plan is to perform as Mr Money Jar and teach people about money that way like I battle between these two things but I come down on the side of no be a generalist no uh or be, what do they call it a t-shaped person so you yep. know a, li- a little bit about a lot of things and then you can drill down into each thing if you want to.
0: I think that that's one of the challenges, I think, when you're an entrepreneur is kind of what to say yes and what to say no to, right? Because you don't want to miss out on stuff, but like you don't want to spread yourself too thin either. So getting that balance right is probably one of the crafts of doing what you do. And and I'm sure you're getting it spot on. Um, If you can, you've touched on a few things that you do do as Mr. Money Jar, but could you just elaborate a bit further on kind of the stuff that you you do, how it works, and what kind of audiences you're trying to reach out to?
1: Absolutely. So on social media, um, that's just, you know, uh, graphics, Uh, short form and some long form videos on various personal finance topics. Um, I try and uh, loosely follow um, kind of what's happening in current affairs and the news and stuff. But I also make content to make people think a bit differently about money and educate them on stuff that I think they need to know about. I teach workshops as well. So that's more, um, you know, if you want to know about something in detail, then I'll do an hour on behalf of corporates on behalf of like charities and and other clients on various uh, financial topics and that's both in person and virtually and then increasingly I'm starting to do kind of talks and and like panel style conversations so uh, last week I think it was I did a talk on financial well-being at a co-working space in London and I think all of those different things are important but um, I definitely enjoy the in-person Engagements the most because that's when you're there with the people. You can see their faces. You get the questions, and you get that immediate sort of feedback. And also for me, my business pretty much got started in lockdown. That's when it first kicked off. So I spent two years in my bedroom. So it's been lovely to get out and actually to get out and people. see people. Yeah. yeah, and it's awesome. Like I go out now, and like people uh very thankfully like already know who I am by the time I've, I've sort of sort of gotten there. Um, so that's that's been awesome too. Um, And then on the national numeracy side, um, I've been partnered with them for a couple of years now. And um, national numeracy has two uh, key dates. Uh, One's in May, one's in November, May is national numeracy day and November has number confidence week. And I support the charity to amplify their messaging um, on on both those key dates and and throughout the year. And um, yeah, very similar to what we said about the money thing Scott is that when it comes to maths a lot of people will have one maths lesson in their childhood they don't understand they feel like maths is not for them and then they just close the door on it and the thing is maths is and can be very fun and can help you in your life and so that's why I really support what the charity does around increasing people's number, confidence, and numeracy, because that, that's that's what people need.
0: One of the things that we find out when we visit the schools, which is part of what we do quite a lot at LBF, is we talk to the teachers and... I think the ones that have most success with maths in class are the ones that kind of give it some context for the students absolutely they understand why they're learning it so if you're talking about things like trigonometry or pythagoras or algebra and things they kind of get where it fits into into the real world stuff And yeah. when you make that connection suddenly you get the engagement and i i'm not, I'm not saying i'm not a maths teacher so i'm certainly not like a maths teacher so i couldn't be a maths teacher but i think if you can give if you can give young adults and, and young, certainly young learners in, in secondary school uh, a context around why they're learning it that helps and and financial education could do
1: that count on it 110 percent. when rishi sinak the other week uh, said that he had an ambition for everyone to learn maths until 18 there was a bit of backlash around that on the internet and i think that that is because people don't want to learn about our, and this is any subject by the way not just maths people don't want to learn about an arbitrary concept in a field um there's way p- people are time poor people have busy lives. People want to learn about stuff that they can apply to their life to enhance their life and to make their life better. And therefore, what's needed in uh, society is numeracy, and not just up to the age of 18, but past that. Same with financial literacy. I happen to be a bit of a money nerd, and I want to drill really deep into why, you know, how pensions work or how tax systems work. But I also recognize that most people don't care because they're off being awesome at the thing they're interested in, whether it's fitness, cooking, fashion, whatever the case may be. So people need to have that level of literacy so that they can apply it to their lives and then move on. As I said, it's about living a happy and healthy life, like at the end of the day, that's what we're all trying to do.
0: And you said you do different topics and you can do one what one hour workshops. I'm interested to know. Do you have a favorite? Is there one or actually better question, maybe is there any you dread doing like, oh, I've got to cover this topic for an hour and I don't want to do that one? Or any that you love and kind like of that's so that's what I really like to talk about.
1: I love talking about anything to do with increasing your income and wealth. Um okay. so that could be pensions, that could be investing. I've done, I also do workshops with schools. And um, I mean, youth organisations, I was at Bromley uh, College the other week, actually speaking to uh, students. Um, and the reason why I like talking about wealth and increasing your income is because a lot of the narrative, I've kind of read severely limited my news intake this year, Scott. So I, I you know, I, I'll, I'll go in and out if I need to find something out, but I'm not doom scrolling anywhere near to the same extent I did during um, the pandemic, because I think that that is a really easy way to to depress yourself. And when you look at some of the narrative around money, it's like, our stuff's really expensive. So you need to cut and cut and cut and cut until you're living in a cardboard box with no Netflix or coffee and no friends, like even. But I think... Describe my life,
0: to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it does look very cold, where you are. <laughs> um, but I think that everyone is... Um, I think everyone is gifted. Everyone has a special set of skills and everyone has value to offer. And it's just about knowing, like, how to tease that out of people. And it's amazing when you teach particularly young people about how the world of investing works their eyes light up because they realize oh right it's not just a race to the bottom you can actually like increase your wealth and increase your outcomes over time as well and this is stuff I didn't find out about until I was in my uh, mid-20s I'm talking to teenagers about this stuff and they're massively on it
0: on that note then obviously you have a mixed audience who you approach and talk to, um, but at we focus really in the schools, bit around kind of secondary schools and college age students. From your experience and from what you see, what would you say are some of like, the key financial challenges for young people today?
1: Yeah, so there are definitely um, milestone and life outcome related challenges getting on the property ladder, obviously a big one. Um, the age I'm at now, um, a lot of my friends uh, you know, have their first child or if not are, are like having their second children so starting a family and costs around childcare um, are also difficult but um what i would say is the undercurrent that is cha- a challenge to young people today is one of abundance and of information overwhelm so when i was younger and when you were younger younger as well i suspect um you uh, could only really be advertised to within the context of watching a TV show or radio program when you're driving along and you saw a billboard. Now, that everything is on 24-7 because of the internet and because of social media. And it therefore becomes very difficult to know, like, there's all this information out there. What's trustworthy and what's not? What's the good stuff and what's the not-so-good stuff? And I think part of what's enabled me to succeed is by becoming a trusted voice that is prepared to filter through all of the stuff and go, here, here's the useful stuff.
0: And I guess, so the the challenge there for young people is to kind of make those judgments themselves on what they're looking at to see how relevant it is. Because you don't... It's a, I'm, I'm certainly got a few years on you. So in the old days, I remember hearing a stat when I was probably at college and it was like, Oh, you get in, you get exposed to about 300 adverts every day. And people are like, wow, 300. Yeah. I didn't know that, you know, billboard yeah. on a you know bus stop or whatever else, you know, it, it's probably that an hour now I would imagine if not more because yeah. they're everywhere. And actually at least back then, an advert was an advert. You knew it was an advert, right? Now they, it's a lot more subtle and there's different ways yeah. of, of getting information to you. So, and look, to be fair to young people, they grew up in this world. So maybe they're, they're, you know, they're quite street smart. They can see through something on, but I don't know that they all can it, it, Is the challenge there to help them create a filter and to kind of recognize not saying that
1: your message is necessarily right and someone of this is wrong but actually
0: just being able to look at it and make their own value on it is, is that part of the challenge
1: yeah that is part of the challenge and it's what we should be teaching young people um my youngest brother 16 so I actually get an insight into what young people are learning at school and stuff and I'm actually very surprised at how similar it is to what I was learning at school Um, And this isn't a criticism of uh, the education system or of teachers. Teachers work exceptionally hard. It's about the curriculum and about what we are saying the system should be teaching people. When you live in a world where there is so much information, it's on 24-7, and new information and new data points are being created every single day, what education systems should be teaching people fundamentally is how to learn, and how to process information. So we need to move away from specific like concepts. And so you're talking about like the Pythagoras and stuff. And actually this is how you process information. This is how you learn because no one alive today knows what the world is going to look like a decade from now.
0: Well, we, again, we, we talk to the students all the time and we kind of say to a class of 30 kids that, you know, the, half the jobs you guys will be doing in five, 10 years' time don't even exist right now. That's exactly. how the, the, exactly. the, the, the speed of change. The job I'm doing
1: right now didn't exist 10
0: years ago. A, as a living example, yeah. yeah. And you, So you've touched on this a little bit already. So, you know, what, what's your kind of overall view then of kind of financial education in, in this country? It, it, is there a lot more we could do or is it in, a, in an okay space? Yeah.
1: Well, I think there's a myth that um personal finance isn't taught in schools um and it like it, it is like I I've, I volunteered with Young Enterprise um just before the pandemic and I was actually very encouraged by like the workshops we were doing it was their learn to um program and you know we asked the kids it was I think it was year 10s like uh if you were to be given like a million pounds or something, what would you do with it? What job do you want to do when you're older? There's a lot of stuff about entrepreneurship in there. I think the challenge to traditional um educational education institutions is around having the time to teach personal finance alongside a lot of the core stuff. Um, so this is why I think again social media creators have been able to fill in that gap because for centuries School was a building that you went to where you were taught stuff. But because of the internet and because of social media, school can be on your phone. School can be on the computer. School can be anywhere. You can learn anything at any time. And um, on that front, I think financial education in this country is doing tremendously well because you need only go on um, like Instagram or TikTok and see literally hundreds of people teaching personal finance in a way that is accessible to people. And for people who say that, um, th- there's like a thought ahead as well. People say that they wish they had they had learned about personal finance at school. I think that when people say that, what they actually mean is, I wish I'd learned about this stuff earlier, because I'm yet to meet a young person that wants to do a personal finance GCSE. <laughs> it comes back to this point about wanting, needing to learn about what you need to learn about that's applicable to you so that you can live your life.
0: So that's such a good point. And um, we provide these qualifications in the school space, GCC and A-levels around kind of finance. But the truth is that you know we often sell it if you like to the schools and the teachers and that they get it straight away and the students when they enroll in it and they start doing it, they really do enjoy it because they get why they're learning it but yeah. if you ask them from the outset you know they're, they're not waking up desperate for a, a finance qualification because a they'll think it's boring and b they'll think it's all about maths so and reality it's yeah. neither of those things it's money and it's kind yeah. of you know it's interest and its language yeah. um but you're right then they're, they're not crying out for it but they always reflect back and say actually you know i'm, I'm glad i learned this and often it's their most engaged lesson because they know why they're learning is that context thing they know what needs to know about insurance and mobile phones and mortgages and credit cards they understand why this stuff's important if they don't really understand what they're talking about just yet, they know that they need to know about it
1: yeah and i think it's good to introduce this stuff as early as possible i would go even before teenage years i would just say as because when you're a child you're still engaging with the world financially you're buying stuff you're giving money and like for your birthday and stuff. So I would introduce concepts obviously to the level of the child, but I'd introduce them early. So even if they don't get it 100% the first time, by the second time and third time, heard it, they're like, oh yeah, that's that thing I heard about when I yeah. was um, in primary school. And then you're building upon it. Um, but the situation lots of people are in right now, and I do sympathize is that they're learning about a mortgage when they're trying to buy the house. Yeah. That's like, way too
0: late yeah and like you said at the beginning you know some of these habits are formed very young aren't they even in like six seven eight years old you know you get yeah. your, your habits and i've got two young boys and i think actually we spoke about probably money more and they were more involved in money they were little because it's pocket money you'd give them money that they'd be interested in the physical money but now yeah. they're teenagers you don't even see money and things just appear you know and it's like and, that, and that's quite a dangerous precedence to sell i guess in many ways yeah Right, I'm going to give you a curveball question here, if you can answer this one. If you had right. a, top, a Timmy top tip or a Mr. Money Money Jar top tip. Um, if you, actually, no, let's do it different. If you were going to talk to your younger self and you're still a young man, but say you go back to yourself, 12, 13, 14 years old, what might you say to yourself?
1: Yeah, I think, look, everything that I've been able to achieve, all the stuff that I know um, and will go on to know has come from a willingness to read books i know we live in a world where you know videos need to be 30 seconds and you need to have a super flashy hook on your social media post but you know i in 2017 um i had been on a massive personal development push and i read 37 books that year i keep a book diary um when i started the book when i ended the book who recommended it to me what what i thought about it. And most of those books are about personal finance. And it was that information that I was able to then turn into funny social media posts that then enabled me to build my business and build my platform. In the world of the short form video, in the world of the, the podcast conversation, in the world of the social media post. the person who can just find time to read for uh, whether it's 10 pages a day 10 pages a day for a month is a 300 page book so half an hour a day an hour a day you are at a tremendous advantage because that is where the like the detailed information is and um if you read even just one book a month the top books in your field that could change and you apply that information that could dramatically Dramatically transform your life. So I got started reading all this stuff in my mid twenties. That's when I like first got interested in all this stuff. But if I'd been reading from, you know, say my teens, like I would have known all that stuff a lot earlier. And what, what I'm saying is actually being proved out because there are people that are in their early twenties now, creators that I'm friends with and work with, and they know all the same stuff as me. But I'm like ten years older than them, and I think that's amazing. So that's what I would say to my former
0: self well i guess there's two tips there number one is start the journey early but number two is invest in yourself right you know and and a great way of doing that brilliant timmy thank you so much it's been fascinating talking to you we could talk for ages and and more would you come back on the show at some point again and maybe we go into a particular topic and, and delve around that would that work for you absolutely i'm glad
1: you'd love to have me back yeah
0: Brilliant. Um, and if people want to find out, and I'm sure they will a bit more about you, the work you do, whether it's at uh, National Numeracy or through uh, Mr. Money Jar, what's the best way of going about that?
1: I'm at Mr. Money Jar, so like a jar of money um, across all social media. And I'm Timmy Merriman-Johnson on LinkedIn. Come give me a follow, come say hi.
0: Brilliant. We'll put those links in the show notes so people can find you nice and easy. And look, Timmy, honestly, let's get you back on again soon. Let's pick a topic to delve into a little bit and get your, your pearls of wisdom around that.
1: Thank you
0: for having me, Scott. Great to talk to you. Thanks, Timmy. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please remember to leave a review and share. To find out more about the work we do at LIBF and our French education qualifications, please contact us or visit our website. All details can be found in this episode's show notes.